Michael Jordan was at a friend's house, Fred Whitfield's. Uh, they were basketball buddies, and uh, they were getting ready to go out for supper. And uh, Jordan was, uh, you know, just hanging around talking, said, hey, you know, it's getting colder outside. Fred, do you think I could uh, borrow one of your jackets? And so uh, Woodfield said, sure, and pointed to the direction he needed to go for the coat closet. Well, Jordan disappeared down the hall, and uh, the house kind of felt quiet during that time, and he reappeared with an armful of branded athletic jackets, shirts, shoes, and other gear. Uh, He dumped the whole pile right in front of Fred and disappeared down the hall once again. Woodfield kind of looked at the heap, you know, like, man, what's going on? You know, I'm, this is my house. Jordan's here as a guest. What's, you know. But one thing he noticed, uh, the pile, all the items were made by Puma. Puma's arrival of Nike. And uh, Jordan had found the closet had materials that were made by both manufacturers. There was some Puma stuff and there was some Nike stuff. And, of course, you know Jordan is associated with a Nike swoosh, right? That's his brand. Because of that, he didn't approve of the Puma stuff in that same closet. And so um, the Nike items were, were there because Whitfield was a close friend of Michael. The Puma stuff was there because Fred had a close relationship with Ralph Sampson. Ralph used to play professional basketball, and he was a Puma rep. So all this stuff's in his closet because of his friends. Well, anyway, Woodfield stood and waited to see the fate of the Puma gear, and Jordan walked now into the kitchen, grabbed a huge butcher knife, and uh, cut the pile of gear on the floor into thousands of pieces, man. He just hacked it up. And when he had thoroughly destroyed the athletic gear, uh, he gathered up and walked it out to the nearby dumpster and came back in. And he went face-to-face with Woodfield, and he said, Hey, dude, call my Nike rep tomorrow and tell him to replace all this. But don't ever let me see you again in anything other than Nike. You can't ride the fence. Well, Michael Jordan demonstrated total commitment once again. And that's the kind of commitment that Jesus Christ is looking for in our relationship with him. Jesus doesn't want to occupy part of your closet. He wants to be the closet himself. That's what he's looking for. So this morning, what's in your closet? You've heard the commercial, what's in your wallet? We're not interested in that. We're interested in what's in your closet. So what's in your closet? What's preventing you from going all in in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, Carl Sandburg put it this way. He said, there's an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. Much of the time, the hippopotamus seems to win. So, who's winning in your life? The hippo, the eagle. Yes, we're at a brand new year, and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 encourage us to look into our closet to see what's holding us back from going 
full bore with Jesus Christ this year. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. What's the weight that's slowing you down spiritually? Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So here it is, friend. If, you're, if you've been stuck in the mud with the hippos this past year, it is time to get out of the mud. And here we find it in verse 12. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. That's what we want for 2019. We want to become strong. Not only become strong, but we want to become stronger. And the whole deal is we want to finish strong in this coming year. So on the back of your program, there's an outline. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul, what he has to say. He encourages us to pray and to tell. And the subtitle, Talking to God and to People. So the text is right in front of you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I love that. I bought a brand new uh, Chuck Swindoll NLT study Bible just a few weeks ago. I'm reading it. I'm marking it up for the new year. I think it's a good thing. Uh, you know, hey, if you need a fresh start, if you want something, do something different than you did before, go for it. So I encourage you uh, to do whatever you need to do to get things rolling and uh, so Colossians chapter 4, uh, starting at verse 2. Listen to what Paul has to say. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why, that is why I am here in chains. And pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response. So we're looking at Colossians and uh, Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. Never been there, but he's writing to the church because he wants to encourage them in a few areas. So before we jump in, let's, let's talk to the Lord. Father, we thank you today for the opportunity we have to read your word and allow your word to speak back to us. That's the cool thing about the Bible. It talks. You talk. So help us to listen. A lot of distractions going on in our world, Lord, so help us to be focused this morning on you and you alone. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul never went to Colossae. He wanted to uh, establish some personal relationships there, so he writes a letter. Part of the reason he's writing this letter is because there's some Bible teachers that have come into the church, and they're not teaching the truth. In fact, they're undermining the credibility of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something, man. If you're ever in a situation where somebody's coming along and downplaying Jesus Christ and who he is. 
Jesus is the Son of God. He went to the cross, your Savior, to pay for your sin, debt, and mine. Jesus is the only way we can get to the Father. So, man, when somebody's coming along in your face and they're messing with you, saying Jesus Christ is not who he said he was, it's kind of like Satan, Lucifer, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, when he slithered along and talked to Eve and said, you know what, God didn't really say, undermining the credibility of God. So what happened was Epaphras, who started this church in Colossae, was a very good friend of Paul. Knew Paul was in Rome. Paul was, was uh, under house arrest, and that's what he's talking about, these chains. He's under house arrest, and, and, and Epaphras comes to him and said, you know, the church in Colossae, man, they're struggling right now. There's a lot of stuff happening in that city. People are, the church is discouraged. Not only that, but there's people that have come into the church, and they're telling God's people that Jesus is not who he said he was. Man, that Paul just went kind of like, whoo, man, his blood pressure spiked, you know? Because he was under house arrest, he couldn't get there, could he? Uh, no, he was stuck, so he was able to write a letter, and that's exactly what he did. And um, let's take a look at the map here. Um, here we are. So, so um, modern day... Uh, Colossi's right here, right here. And uh, Laodicea is right here. Um, so Colossi today is in modern-day Turkey. A lot of interesting things going on in Turkey. Um, Jerusalem right here. So that kind of, the Mediterranean Sea, that kind of, you know, boom in. Let's go next uh, next slide. So these are Paul's travels and... Um, you can see he went to Ephesus, but there's no line going into Colossae. That's what we talked about. Colossae's off the beaten trail. It had been at one time on the major trade route, but as time went on, they built some newer roads, bypassing and went, went up above it. So imagine when 18151 was coming west and all the towns, the communities like Mount Hora, Verona, uh, Barnevold, Dodgeville, just keep going down the line. When, when 18151 was coming through, they bypassed the towns. Do you notice that? And the towns kind of had panic attacks. They said, man, what's going to happen to our businesses? You know, because people aren't going to be driving through our towns. They're going to be going around our towns. So that's exactly what happened in Colossae. So their business industry kind of slowed down. And, and so the church was struggling. And with these false teachers, what else do we have up there? Boom, the next slide. Oh, we, never mind. Never mind, you could leave. Well, we'll come back to that guy. Okay, so, so that's where Colossi is. The president of uh, Turkey today, by the way, is, um, is a strong Muslim. And uh, uh, there's a lot of bad things going on in that country. So... Just a footnote, back in, back in the day, when Paul wrote this in 60 A.D., um, Turkey was around. Once again, you need to realize that when you read God's word, it's true. These places are real. These aren't some cartoons or fantasies that people made up along the way. 
You could go to Turkey, you could go to Colossae today and realize this is exactly what was going on. So hitting the pause button right off the top, um, what will prevent you from being deceived? The church in Colossae was being deceived, and it got Paul's attention. And so that's why he's writing this letter, to encourage the church, man, to get back to the real deal. Staying strong in your walk with Christ means you have to stay in God's word. When you read God's word, it will endorse the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, and he is. The red flag will go up in your brain immediately when somebody comes along and starts downplaying the credibility of Christ. That should be happening in your life. So how does that happen? Well, first of all, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, I, I just want to encourage you to grab one. And, and I've started mine again for the new year. I'm reading through Genesis, the creation. I tell you what, it just, it just, it, it, it was so cool once again to read the creation story. And God said, and it was done. And God said it was good. He's, it's over and over again, man. God made you, and He made you with purpose. So that's that's the great news. R. T. Kendall who is a theologian who at one time um, had walked away from his faith, he, he writes about um, the battle raging that Satan has in preventing the people of God from reading their Bibles. And, and he says, um, you know, the devil will work overtime to keep Christians from reading the Bible. Well, we know that. And he says, I'm grateful for... Two things in my life. First, my parents taught me to read my Bible daily. That's what they did. The thought of not reading at least a chapter a day in the Bible was out of the question. Secondly, he says, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his mentor, another great man of God, introduced me to a Bible reading plan many years ago. And as a consequence, I think I can say I have read the entire Bible through some 40 times and the New Testament 80 times. A Bible reading plan keeps you in the Word. What's keeping you out of the Word? That's what I want to know. Listen, we, we in America, we mess around. We, we've got it so easy. And because of that, we're, there's a lot of casualties spiritually in our culture, in America. There are spiritual casualties because God's people aren't reading God's word. North Korea, I, re I read this article back in November, man, and it, it, just, it just encouraged me from the fact, here's a, a, a small group of North Korean believers. They meet at a riverbank with fishing gear. They quietly load into a small boat, push off from land. When they're in the middle of the river, they feel safe enough to worship together to study God's word. And even then, they're on, they're constant alert. If they're caught reading the Bible, they could immediately be sentenced to 15 years in a labor camp or worse. How many of you would like to go for that, huh? Read your Bible, go to prison for 15 years. Anybody up for that today? I don't see any hands up. What's the problem, man? 
Huh? What's the problem? There are only a few Bibles among church members, not nearly enough for everyone, and each copy is practically falling apart. And after years of being carefully studied and then hidden over and over again, the bindings come loose, pages slip out. Many of the Bibles have water damage from these early morning meetings on the boat. Check this out, but they are still these Christians' prized possessions. Do you prize your Bible? Hmm? They risk their lives for these Bibles. The believers clutch God's word to their chest, and many of the people who had not had one previously break down into tears. To them, a new Bible is the greatest gift they could receive. Hmm. So how is it, friend? Oh, yeah, man, we, we're so busy in America, right? We're, we're so busy. So, so anyway, um, when you read your Bible, this is Colossians 2.7, just a page in front of Colossians 4. Paul says, let your roots grow down into him. Why, why is he saying that? Because of the deception going on in the church. If your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth. In the truth, you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Yeah. So how's it going? How's it going? So I want to encourage you this, this, uh, this 2019, man, get on a Bible reading plan. We've got a couple options at the, at the back wall. Grab one and find one that works for you and stay with it. If you miss a day, get back on it the next day, boom. But be strong in, in, in 2019. So number one in your notes, uh, Paul says, make prayer a habit. Bible reading needs to be a habit. Prayer needs to be a habit. Not, hey, some of you made resolutions. Throw those out right away. Just throw them out. Get, dump them, flush them, whatever you want to do. Resolutions don't work. It's proven, man. Like 85% of, the, of people who want, you know, they start out with resolutions by January 12th, they've dropped off, gone, boom. Resolutions don't work. You want to know what works? A habit. A habit. Habits work. And so instead of saying, I'm going to do a, res you know, I'm going to start a habit of reading my Bible. So right there, right there in your aisle, uh, you have praying God's promises. We're talking about making prayer a habit. Let's read what Paul says. Devote yourselves to prayer. What does that mean? That means devote yourselves to prayer. So you've got these on your, on your rows, and I, th these are free. So, so when you don't know what to pray, pray boldly the promises of Scripture. Start with these 12 promises straight from God's Word. you got 12 right there, boom. So every day, and on the back, 40 days. In 40 days, you're going to have a habit established in your life. Isn't that amazing? Come on, talk to me. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then on the bottom there, you can write your breakthrough prayers, man, what, what happened. So, so take this with you. This is free. Also, you've got this Life Church Prayer Guide. And really simple, really simple. You could take it along right with this. You've got your seven greatest needs and then pray for the salvation of seven people in your life. Boom. 
Take it with you. And there's all kinds of cool stuff. So 21 days of prayer and fasting, that might sound a little intimidating. I think it's, not, it's intimidating to me at times, you know. What does that mean? That means maybe if you're heavy into social media, maybe cut back, you know. Cut back. Uh, maybe your television time, cut back a little bit on that. Fast something that you do every day. I'm fasting coffee for 21 days. And those of you that know me know that's a big sacrifice. Yo? Is it? Yeah, man. I drank hot water this morning. So, and there's other things that I'm, I'm knocking off, but the point is, do something and say, God, I'm serious about getting to know you more this year. I want you to be my closet. I don't want, I don't want Nike and Puma sharing space in my closet. I want you to be the closet. I want you all in in my life, God. Yo, that's right. Let's do it together. So really, let's not, let's not be intimidated by 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, it's doable. And you do something practical that you can do and, uh, and, and step out in that. So, so in this, devote yourselves to prayer. What, what, what's he talking about? It's, it's the idea of persistence in prayer, continual prayer, unwilling to give up prayer. Even when prayers go unanswered, and hey, we've all had prayers go unanswered, haven't we? And when you have prayers unanswered, it's like, why should I even pray? We'll talk about that. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, never stop praying. It's the same meaning here in Colossians 4. Same meaning, never stop praying. And so... When you have those times of giving up, you know, you don't feel spiritual, you don't have whatever the case may be, we are not to live by our feelings. Have you ever realized that? You, you can't live by your feelings. They, they can't be trusted. So George Mueller put it this way. George Mueller was a man who knew how to pray. And he said this, It is a common temptation of Satan to make us give up the reading of the word. We already talked about that. And prayer. When our enjoyment is gone, as if it were of no use to read the Bible when we don't enjoy it, and as if it were no use to pray when we have no spirit of prayer. The truth is that in order to enjoy the word, we ought to continue to read it. And the way to obtain a spirit of prayer is to continue praying. The less we read the Bible, the less we desire to read it. And the less we pray, the less we desire to pray. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's pretty basic, but it's true. Thank you, George, for reminding us that. But when prayer seems like, you know, I'm wasting my time, I've got better things to do, we are reminded 1,400 times in the Bible that topic of prayer is brought up. Think about that, 1,400 times. I think we'd all say, man, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot. Yes, it is. And there's no shortcut. There is no shortcut to praying. You have to pray. To pray. It's true. You know, six excuses 
these common excuses came up in some research. This is what it is. I'm too busy to pray. I feel too spiritually dry to pray. I feel no need to pray. I am too bitter to pray. I am too ashamed to pray. I am content with mediocrity. Anybody here this morning content with mediocrity? Oh, yeah, I want a mediocre spiritual relationship with Christ in 2019. Anybody here for that? All right. Let's put away the excuses this year. Because an excuse is just the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. King Jehoshaphat, if you want to take a model prayer, and I like his prayer in 2 Chronicles 20. You could, you could read that. What's going on in Jehoshaphat's world? Well, the armies of, of Moab, the Ammonites, the Meunites were attacking his country. Three countries against one. You'd say that's not fair. Life is not fair. Overwhelming odds. He didn't know what to do. Listen to what he says in verse 12. This is a prayer. This is a prayer that you can model every single day. He says, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Can I tell you something? That is probably my most common prayer every single day. Lord, I don't know what to do, but I need your help. Do you ever feel like that? You don't know what to do? I, I can't tell you how many times I, have, I pray, Lord, give me wisdom in this situation. Give me wisdom in this situation. I don't know what to do. And I need your help. I'm not going online somewhere. I'm not going to call this person over here. I'm asking you, God. I need your help. So, so, so there you have it. And um, you know what's creepy? Anybody want to know what's creepy? What's creepy? I was waiting for that question. What's creepy is when people try to impress God with how spiritual they are when they talk to him. You know? Like they try to impress God with this really deep spiritual lingo. You know, and God's just like, are you kidding me? We, we don't, we come, we come as we are. We don't, God knows us. We don't have to impress him. He loves us. He loves us to the max. And in Matthew 6, 5 through 8, the message, check this out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. Oh, how true that is. Verse 7, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. 
This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply. Don't you like that? We can pray simply. We come before God. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we're feeling. I don't feel spiritual, God. God knows that. Is God gone anywhere? No. He's moved in. He's not going anywhere. So Jesus taught us to pray, and before he taught his disciples to pray, in Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, When you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. (laughs) You know, the same thing over and over. Same thing every day, you know, boom. Same thing. Wrote, memory. Nothing's coming out. It's not real from the heart. It's just quoting stuff. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, John Piper, pastor, author, kind of shot a flare in the air. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at Judgment Day, the prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Hmm. Okay, something to think about. So let's put some meat on this, uh, what Paul's writing. Make prayer a habit. Devote yourselves to prayer. What does that look like? Devote means to grab hold of something and not let go. To grab hold of something and not let go. It happens when teams play tug-of-war. You saw that on the screen, tug-of-war. You ever play tug-of-war? Huh? One team grabs one end of the rope. The other team grabs the other end of the rope. Somebody yells, go. Boom. And the competition's on. And people on the sidelines are singing, don't give up, don't give up. You know, you hang on for dear life. Because if you, if you get dragged in the middle, they usually have a big mud puddle in the middle. Are these guys, are these guys on vacation? No, man. Uh, you can see the, you can see they are digging in and they're not letting go, right? That's, that's the image you want to put in your head when you read this verse, devote yourselves to prayer. You're going to pray and you're not going to let go. You're grabbing that rope and you're digging in. You're going to finish strong. So devoting yourself to prayer, that's, Paul is saying keep at it. He's saying keep at it. Why? Because you've got some teachers coming in, sneaking in, teaching you stuff that is not the truth. And you need to pray. So this morning... As we look at this year, I, don't, I really don't know how you would rate 2018 spiritually for you. But I would hope that when we grow in our walk with Christ, whatever we'd rate it for 2018, we'd try and put it up a notch for 2019, right? 
mediocre, mediocrity is staying the same. There's nothing happening. So you have to be intentional in this relationship with Christ. God loves you. He loves you to the max. He's not going to love you more by you praying more. He's not going to love you more by you reading your Bible more. But I will tell you this, you will love God more by praying more and reading the Bible more. Because he loves you to the max. He can't love you anymore. You can't earn his love by going on this 20-way day of prayer and fasting. You can't, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's simply saying, Lord, here I am. And I've been negligent, you know. I've, I've let life beat me up. I've let, you know, hey, my unanswered prayers put me on cruise control. Whatever the case. But, Lord, I'm going to be intentional in 2019 to establish a habit of spending time with you. Yeah. You're not going to impress God. But you will become stronger in your walk with Christ. So, Father, this morning we thank you. We think of every Sunday as a brand new week. And every January 1 is a brand new year. And Lord, we're standing in the front of a year. And yes, it's true, we don't know what this year will hold. But this one thing we can say is I will establish a habit with meeting with God. Lord, you don't want to share space in our lives. You want to fill the space in our lives. If we've allowed things to Nike and Puma and everything else that wants to take space in our lives, Lord, Help us to be proactive like Michael Jordan was in getting rid of the Puma stuff. Man, we, get, we have to go into that closet and get rid of it. That's action on our parts. And so today, Lord, in a very humble way, we come before you. Not arrogant, not proud, but saying, Lord, we need you. As King Jehoshaphat said, Lord, I don't know what to do, and I'm asking for your help. And so right where you're at, you can, you can talk to the Lord right now. Just talk to him. He's been talking to you, so you can talk to him. And yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
us to devote ourselves to prayer this year, Lord. Help us to read your word, be devoted to reading your word this year, Lord. thank you. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.